Well, a lot of times when I get up here to give a talk from the Bible, I may have like a, a passage. A passage would be, uh, for those of you that are like newer to church life, it would be like a series of verses, not one verse, but a series of verses, and we try to find a deeper understanding of that. Or, or sometimes I'll give a talk. In fact, I do this quite often. I'll give a talk that would be more uh, technically topical in nature, where it is a particular topic uh, out of spiritual life and practice, and there may be many, many verses that we will look at uh, that will just sort of address that topic because the Bible addresses it from different angles. And, and then there's these rare times, like today, when the passage is not really a passage, but it's just one verse. It's not that I'm not going to share with you two or three other verses, but our primary verse is just one verse. And I know how, how some of you think. Some of you are thinking, does that mean the message is going to be shorter? And the answer to that is no. I can do a lot with God's help with just one verse. And so today, the first part of the verse that we're going to look at, I think is going to be strengthening to some of you and encouraging to some of you because you may wonder about this or you may wonder, is it still true in your life? But then when we flip the verse to sort of the B part of the next part of that verse, there's going to be a challenging element to it. Not all of it is challenging, but there's going to be a portion of that that is going to challenge you to do something that maybe you're not really doing right now. Maybe you're saying, well, I know I need to do it, but I just haven't put it into practice. And so we're going to get to all of that. But I actually want to begin with a story out of, if you can believe it, uh, women's college softball, and I cannot uh, mention college softball without also having to mention college baseball, and that's going to be quite painful to me, but I want to go ahead and say it because it will help to shape my character. I want to congratulate mm, this tougher than I cr thought, Craig. Congratulate the Florida Gators on College Baseball World Series. That, that, that was not, that, that was a test in my character, and I believe God's going to help me because I went ahead and just declared it, even though it was not easy to declare. But a number of years in college uh, softball, women's softball, uh, here's what happened. The Western Oregon women's softball team played against Central Washington University in Ellensburg, Washington. During the course of the game, and I found this story some time ago, Western Oregon, their senior, her name is Sarah Tokolsky, hit the first home run of her college career. She dropped her bat and started to make her way around the bases. In the midst of the excitement, though, she forgot to tag first base. When the first base coach brought the mistake to her attention, she quickly turned around to come back and tell. I mean, that happens. You're running, you're excited, you miss a base, you come back. You, have you seen this happen even in, like, pro baseball? But to everyone's horror, her right knee buckled. Crying, she tried her best to crawl back to the base. Sarah's teammates were warned that if they touched her, she would be called out. The umpires also noted that if her coaches opted to call in a pinch runner for her, the home run would only count now as a single. You can probably imagine then the shock of everyone and what they felt when Mallory Holtman, the opposing team's first baseman and career home run leader for Central Washington, turned to the umpire and said, listen to her question, would it be okay if we carried her around the bases and she touched each bag, the opposing team? When the umpires gave their approval, their shock, no doubt, 
Holtman and teammate Liz Wallace picked up Sarah, crossed their arms beneath her, and carried her to second base. Once there, they lowered her, the, the injured player and gently touched her foot to the bag. They did that, the, the same thing for third base and home plate. The crowd erupted in a standing ovation. Western Oregon went on to win the game, eliminating Central Washington from the playoffs. When later asked about the good deed, Holtman said that the decision to help out her opponent was simple. She felt Sarah deserved the home run because the ball cleared the fence. In her own interview, Sarah said, It's amazing what they did for me, and I hope that I would do the same for her in the same situation. How many of you know, having read that story to you, how many of you know, regrettably so, that you and I exist in what? You know, it's, it's, it's reality. We don't like it, but we live in a very selfish society. We live in a culture that is steeped in meism. And that is not shocking to us because when we're really not, uh, you know, trying to be smug or sanctimonious and we take a look at our own lives, we all have to admit that in many respects, the reality is our own reflexive response, firstly, is not always to think of others and how we might help them and how we might serve them and how we might love them. Instead, what happens, even those of us who are already followers of Jesus, instead, what comes all too natural to us is to migrate toward ourselves, to think about our needs, to make them foremost, to make our wants preeminent, preeminent to make our desires the chief a consideration of our thinking. And so it's not like we don't have to deal with it. I mean, we don't like the fact that we look around us and selfishness abounds on every side. But the reality is when we pause long enough, we consider, well, there's probably a lot of selfishness steeped in us. There's a lot of meism that we have to contend with. And it seems that in every segment of culture, this is true. The focus is on me in business, in sports, in entertainment, in families, even in churches. And so when a couple of teammates, just like I read, to you, Mallory Holtman and Liz Wallace perform what is a generous act of kindness and compassion and carry Sarah, this opposing player, around the bases, this becomes newsworthy. It becomes a big deal. And it ought not be because, and I'll share with you why, in the community that Jesus wants to shape, this would not be the exception. This would not be considered outlandish. In the community that Jesus wants to build and form, this would be the norm. And I just have to say to you and to me, because here we are, and I think as followers of Jesus, I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel strongly about this. If anybody can make a difference in this regard in the world, it's the body of Christ. It's the church. Can I just say to you again, I believe this to the core of my being, that the church is the hope of the world. And the church is comprised of individuals just like you and me who just say, well, we're just not going to do what comes normal. We're not just going to be average. We're going to make a difference in the world. And so if there are a lot of selfishness that abounds, if meism is so centric in our culture and society, what can I do? And I know when we think about that, what can we do? What can one person do? But it's not one person. It's one person plus another person and how we can change culture and how we can change society at large. 
And you may feel, well, you know, my life, Pastor Jeff, is just so insignificant. I'm just one little bitty person on this whole planet. But one person even can make, one person who is bound and determined to make a difference in this can make a difference. If you don't think one little thing can make a difference, just try being on a camping trip and have one little mosquito get in your tent. It can change your life. It can change your life. And we can all make a difference. And so I want to take a verse. It's amazing. I'm not going to John 3.16. That's probably the most famous verse in all of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So John 3.16 deals with love. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave Jesus. But I want to show you. The guys are going to put it on the screen. It is John 3.16, but it's 1 John 3.16. But it has a lot to say about real love. This is how we know. This is still John, the Apostle John. This is how we know what real love is. Not fabricated, not phony, not pretentious. But this is how we know what real love is. Jesus gave his life for us. How many of you know that's real love? If Jesus gave his life for us, now that's real love. But that's not the end of the verse. That's the encouraging part. And we're going to deal with that. But here comes the challenge. So... We should give our lives for our brothers and our sisters. We should love. We should serve. We should help. Now, when you look at that and it says we should give our lives for our brothers and sisters, just to make sure we're all clear in our understanding concerning the verse, if you happen to be an only child, that does not mean that you're off the hook. He's not talking about technically your literal brothers and sisters, your family kin. He is talking about people in general. And when Jesus mentions that, he's, he's wanting us to understand that this is true uh, for everybody, our brothers, our sisters, people that are easy to like and love, and those who are not. And so what I want you to do for the next few moments that we have together, I want you to give me some of your best thinking as we navigate together through just this one verse, and we're going to break it out, and we're going to look at it in two parts. Now, guys, could you go back to that verse for, for just a moment? And I want you to look at the first part of it with me, and, um, and let's read the first part, just the first segment of it, and we're going to talk about it. All right, everybody, 100% of us now, this is how we know what real love is. Jesus gave his life for us. That's how much you're loved. That is how much God cares about you. God cares so much about you that God sent his best, his son Jesus, into the world to become the supreme sacrifice to die in our place. Jesus loved us enough that he would follow through with it. This is how great God's love is that God would send. It's real love that God would send Jesus and that Jesus would give his real life for us. Now, some of you are too young, I understand. It used to be out here people say that, and, and I'd be like, right, you know, I, I'm too young to remember that. Now it's just sort of ironic how time moves on, and I find myself saying, you may be too young to remember this. But some of you are. Um, some of you were not alive when Ronald Reagan was president. Uh, how many of you were alive when Ronald Reagan was president? Let me see your hand. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged now. All right. Uh, if you were alive then, then many of you, if you were old enough, 
you are probably, like me in this regard, you will never forget the images that unfolded at the assassination attempt that was made by John Hinckley Jr. against President Reagan. You'll probably never forget that sidewalk scene and the commotion, the shot, and, you know, people falling to the, to the ground, uh, covering up the president. He was hit. We know that. and Spent time in the hospital. You talk about unselfishness. This was not a part of my talk, but I, I read, you talk about the most powerful person in all of the world, politically speaking, uh, the president of the United States, and while he was in the hospital recovering from uh, being shot, uh, he had spilled some water on the floor. And when a nurse came in, they found the president on the floor cleaning up the water that he had accidentally spilled. And they, and they were like, are you? Like, what are you doing? And, you know, he had protection and all that outside. What are you doing? And, he, and, and just sort of the humility. I'm, I'm cleaning up the mess that I made. Well, that's not the part that I was going to, although that is indicative of, of humility that he possessed, which was one of the characteristics that most people think made him such a, uh, a fascinating president. But you'll never forget the images when, when people, when these secret service and those who were responsible for the prote- uh, protection of the president, that scene, it will forever be stamped in our mind, those who were willing to die to save his life. And then you have to back up and say, well, what was their motivation? Why, why were they willing to die to save his life? Was it their mission? Was it because of loyalty? Was it a position? Was it their occupation simply? Was it because they got a paycheck to do that? But consider the contrast here. I want you to think about this. This is so important. It will help you to understand how God loves you. Subordinates on that occasion were willing to give up their life for a national leader. They, subordinates, would give their life for a national leader while Jesus, the greatest leader who ever lived, was willing to give up his life for us. You think about that. Uh, we would see these secret, and we'd say, well, that, that made sense. That was their job. That was re- their responsibility. And fundamentally, they probably did that out of a sense of loyalty. But subordinates would be willing to die for a leader, but it is not often that a leader would be willing to die for their subordinates. I want you to take a look on the screen at what Bill Hybels has written. It's a great, it's a great statement. He said, Jesus knew the heart of the Father so intimately that even when facing death, he could not let go of his preoccupation with people. As he inhaled his last breath, his heart still beat for people. As his earthly ministry came to a close, he remained clear about his mission to serve people. And as he hung there on that cross, I wonder if what flashed through his mind were the faces of people whose lives would be forever changed because he accomplished what he came into the world to accomplish. I want to remind you again, God loves people. Can I personalize it and just say, God loves you. How much does God love you? God loves you enough to send Jesus. Jesus loves you enough to go through with it. But sometimes you may wonder, well, you know, what does Jesus really think about me? I mean, you may even be somebody here in a little bit of self-deception. I do, I do not mean that critically, but I mean it, you know, because uh, compassionately toward you, I want you to see God's truth concerning you. And if I were to ask you, well, what does God think about you? Some of you, I mean, if you were going to be candid with me in that moment, some of you would be, say, you'd be saying back to me, well, I'll tell you what God thinks about me. God thinks about me what I think about me, and I think I'm a loser. Or you might would say, uh, God probably thinks about me what other people think about me, that I'm a loser. 
And maybe your self-esteem through whatever events that have occurred in your life has become so damaged and so misworked that you just look at your life and you say, well, you know what? I'm never going to amount to anything. I'm never going to accomplish anything. I'm never going to have any value whatsoever. My life really doesn't mean a whole lot. I'm a loser. I don't really matter. And you know, friends, I've just got to tell you, that is not God's perspective of your life at all. God never sees any of his kids as being losers. I was thinking about this thought, you know, uh, some time ago, and when I heard the statement a number of years ago, it so resonated with me. It's probably not true of any of us here in the room, but I thought it was a humorous way of helping a person to rightly assume their own uh, value. It, It said this, your own value is located somewhere between the opinion of your own mother and your mother in law. Somewhere in between those, it, it, it probably falls somewhere in between there. God does not look at you and feel that you're a loser. You, you may say, well, when Jesus really thinks about me, he really thinks about somebody that is beyond hope and somebody that is beyond help. I, I know that there are those of you, I know this, I know it as well as I, I know my name and my birthday. There are those of you that are here today that you look at your life and you look at your past and you just say, you know what, God, God is, is mad at me. Just look at the things that I've done in my life. Look at the mistakes that I've made. Look at the problems that I've created for myself and other people. And you are so consciously aware of your past that you can't even appreciate and value your, your current reality, much less your future, because all you can do is you just keep living in the past, all of your mistakes. In fact, this is what you feel. You feel that God is mad about you and that God is always going to be mad about, uh, mad with you. And therefore, you feel hopeless and you feel helpless and that you can never break beyond that. And you've heard me say this so many times before, and I just have to echo it again this morning. God is not mad at you. God is actually mad about you. God cares about you. You may look at your life and say, well, what does Jesus think about me? Well, he doesn't think much about me at all because he is obviously uh, so busy with all the many more important details that are occurring in this, in this big world of ours. And God, maybe he's not thinking about me at all. And that too is not true. God does not look at your life and say, he's a loser, she's a loser. Uh, their situation is a hopeless case or, or a situation where God is not thinking about you. God is thinking about you every single day. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus is constantly before the Father, talking to the Father about you, praying to the Father, uh, or, or talking to the Father about you. It says that he intercedes for us. Now, the reality is you and I are still loved by Jesus in an extravagant kind of way, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what our background is. And that doesn't mean that we don't take responsibility. All of us have blown it. All of us have made mistakes. All of us have done things in our life that we would, we would like to hit rewind. Is there anybody that, uh, and I don't want you to dwell on your past, but you would look back at your life and say, man, if I got a mulligan on that stage of my life, I, I, I would take it. I'd do a do-over on that area of my life. And everybody feels that way. I don't, I don't know of a single person that does not feel that way. And if you say, well, Pastor Jeff, I, obviously I'm the exception to the rule. Well, maybe I'll deal with pride next week. We'll just have to see how it, how it goes. But the reality is we, we all have made decisions. We all 
had challenges. So we need to take responsibility for those if we've not. If we've done things we should not have done, we need to tell God that we're sorry. If we need to tell somebody we're sorry. But according to Romans 8.35, this is not on the screen, there is absolutely nothing. This is what the Bible says. There is absolutely nothing that shall separate us. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. You cannot escape the love of God. You cannot run beyond the love of God. Some of you right now, at this stage in your life, you're running from God, and you know you're running from God. You know you're not blatant about it. You're not telling, but you know you're running from God. You know that you've had a vitality about your relationship with God in the past that you no longer have, and the reality is you're running from God. You're allowing spiritual drift to find a place in your life, and you're thinking, well, you know, I, I just have set my sights here, and, and you know, I'm, I'm wondering. Maybe you're wondering, can you outrun the love of God? Now, it doesn't mean that God is pleased. It does not mean that God is approved of any and everything that, that his children do. I, I do not want that to have, have any place in our mind. But the fact of the matter is there is absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God. You can't do anything. Again, you've heard me say this. You cannot do anything that would make God love you any more. But you also cannot do anything that would make God love you any less. Look at this next statement. This is John Ortberg in a book that he wrote a number of years ago. He said, uh, this is a part of the reason Jesus was such a magnet for people. As a general rule, when we come to those superior to us in some respect, to be endured with patient resignation is about the best that we can hope for. All stars don't usually ride the bus with third stringers. But when messed up sinners came to the only sinless person who ever lived, he did not merely endure them with patient resignation. What did Jesus do? Jesus liked them. He loved them. And that's why the world was attracted to him. That's why people was attracted to him. So please hear me once again when I say this. God loves you more than you could ever know. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. And if you could only listen close enough, if you could only listen to his voice speaking to you, you would hear God saying to you, I love you. I really do. I know that you've messed up. I know that you've had problems in your past. I know that you've done things that you'd like to redo. I know that there have been problems and challenges and setbacks in your life. I know that there have been hindrances and hangups in your life, but I love you. I really love you, and I want to help you, and I want to strengthen you. I love you. In his book, Lighten Up, Ken Davis writes about the wedding. I love this story of one of his daughters talking about love. He says, as they were standing in the lobby of this church, he said, as we stood waiting for the ceremony to begin, my daughter squeezed my arm and whispered, whispered to me, I love you, Daddy. He said, I found out later that she didn't say it because she loved me, even though she surely does. She and her sister had actually made a bet that she could make me cry at some point during the ceremony. <laughs> and so she's just really pouring it off. Before the ceremony even begins, I love you, Dad. Just trying to do in this bed everything she could to get a tear from his eye. He, he went on to say, he said, she did not make me cry. He said, however, it did throw me off, though, because when I got to the front of the church and when the pastor asked, who gives this woman to be married to this man? My response was, my mother and I do. <laughs> not her mother. And I, my mother and I do. She came up. You cannot escape the love of God, all right? So here's the second part of 1 John three sixteen. You saw it a moment ago, and I want to go back and uh, read it again, and we really need to talk about it for a few moments before we're done. 
The first part, this is how we know what real love is. Jesus gave his life for us. And I want you to be encouraged in that. Even if there's one person here this morning that you're struggling with believing that God loves you, I want you to know that God loves you. If you're struggling with and you've, you've confessed what you've done wrong, it, you're, you've made certain that you don't have any unconfessed sin in your life, and you're wondering, has God really forgiven you? If you were sincere in your heart, then let me give you the assurance of knowing God is not only loving you, God has also forgiven you. So I hope you understand. I hope you're encouraged in that. I hope you're reminded that nothing can ever separate you from the love of Christ. Now, so that is on the receiving end, but it's like John, this apostle says, all right, so having considered that, having embraced that, having welcomed that into your life, then it deals with the second part, and let me read the B part of that verse. So he says, we should give ourselves, our lives, our love for our brothers and sisters. We've got to do it. Just as Christ loved us, his plan and will is that we would love everybody and authentically look for ways to serve people and to help people. And that goes back to what I was saying at the very beginning of this talk. That is not easy because that is not often modeled for us. What is modeled for us? Selfishness. What is, what is modeled for us? Uh, being me-centric, being, you know, it's, it's all about me, me, my needs, my, my wants, my desires, and that's got to be elevated above everybody else. And, and it's this notion of thought, by the way, which is not found in the Bible, that says if anybody's going to look after me, I've got to look after me. That is not in the Bible. That is a societal statement. If anybody's going to look out after me, you know, I, I'm going to have to do it. How about this one instead? If anybody's going to look out of, after us, can't we trust God to look out after us? And to just say, you know what? I need to do what the Bible says. Consider the needs of others is more important than myself. I need to be concerned. I need to serve people. I need to help people. I need to love people. I need to reach out. I've been on the receiving end of the greatest act of love that has ever occurred in the history of mankind. Now can I give love the way that God wants me to give love? A theologian by the name of John R. W. Stott has written this. Hate is negative. Hate is negative. It seats the other person's harm and leads to activity against that person, even to the point of murder. But love, contrastingly, is so positive. It seats the other person's good and leads to activity for him or her, even to the point, listen to this, of self-sacrifice. We know this to be true. We know it to be right, and yet it's so difficult to fulfill. Why is that? Again, because of the age in which we live. When it's not about sacrifice, self-sacrifice, it's about, it's about me. It's about selfishness. And so how do we commit ourselves to, to saying, well, you know what? I want to be different. I, you know, if the local church is the hope of the world, if the body of Christ is going to remedy the challenge that we face, you know, in our nation, in our world, and we're going to be different, how, how are we going to be different? And, and it may mean that we've got to be different than how we typically react. You know, I, I find that it's very, you know, it's, it's very easy to commit myself to something that is easy to do, something that is simple to do. But life is not always easy. And life is not always simple. And sometimes we're called upon, please hear me on this, sometimes we're called upon to do things in the name and in the power of Jesus, but we have a litany of reasons as to why we cannot fulfill them. And we come up, and it sounds, it sounds realistic, 
It sounds like, you know, justifiable. And in our mind, it made sense. But a lot of times, how do we respond? And, and there's, here, I think, are the primary ways that we often respond, people in general. But I think it also touches our life. You know, when it's time to love, to serve, to help somebody else, this, this is how we often will respond. If it's not a simple assignment, it's not an easy task, this is how it, it is easy to respond. And, and that is to say, well, you know, I would do such and such, but I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I, the only people I know, can I just say it? The only people that I know are busy people. I do not know. And, and I'm, I know that they exist, but I do not know. To the best of my recollection, anybody that's not really busy, anybody that I ever ask about their work, this is the, the reply. I am so busy. I have to assume it's true. I've never heard anybody, by the way, when asked, well, how's everything at work? I've never heard anybody look at me and say, you know, if you want to know the truth, Jeff, I am goofing off like crazy. You want to know the truth? If you really want to know the truth, here's my new methodology in terms of my thinking. I like this notion, and I've adopted it. Here's what I'm looking for. Jeff, I'm wanting maximum pay for minimum effort. Sounds good, doesn't it? If you find a company like that, not going to be too many openings. If you ask somebody, are, are you, how's everything at work? I've never, I've asked that question thousands of times to people. I've never asked that question and somebody have responded to me. Well, you know what? If, if uh, you know, if I, if I get paid, if my salary is on the basis of just gazing out the windows at work, I'm going to be a very rich person. I never hear anybody say any of those. Everybody I know is a busy person. And we can say that. We can say, well, you know, I would, I, I would love the way Jesus wants me to, to love, but I'm, I'm too busy. I, I would serve the way that God wants me to serve. I would, I would help people the way, but, you know, you know, I'm just way too busy. Or, here's another one. If it's not, I'm way too busy, you know, I'd really serve in this way if I wasn't so busy. I'd really help people if my job was not so demanding. Uh, if it's not that one, then it can be this one. Well, you know what? I just need to spend more time with my family. And I get that. I, I understand. And I am not taken away by any stretch of the imagination spending time with family. That is so critically important. But you know what? I, I wasn't born yesterday. And I'm no longer a rookie pastor. I once was, but I'm not. I've got some gray hairs to prove it. If you don't believe me, you can look up close. I've got more gray hairs than I care. And so I've come to the realization that for some people, that is a legitimate statement. But for a lot of people, can I just tell you, it's a big excuse. Because sometimes a person has no intention of taking and saying, well, you know, this is what I'm going to do. You know what? It's, it's a mere excuse to get off the hook from serving somebody. Well, I need to spend time or helping somebody. I would, but, you know, I've got all of this. Here's another one, and I've heard this one. I've heard this one. These are probably the big three. I'm too busy. I need to spend more time with my family. Or here's another one. I'm just not as gifted or talented as a lot of people are. I'm, if, I, if I had, you know, I see other people, Pastor Jeff, and they're just so gifted. 
I see other people, and they just have so many great talents. You know what? If I was gifted the way that they were gifted, here's what I would do. If I was talented the way that they were talented, then here's what I would do. I want to take you back to something, and I'm just going to spend a moment on this, but this is so fundamental. You've got to understand this. Listen, friends, and maybe we'll talk about it in greater detail, but you have got to to rest assured that at the moment when you bowed your knee and you accepted Jesus Christ as the Savior of and the leader, the Lord of your life, at that moment when the Holy Spirit came, when Jesus came into your life, also at that moment, he deposited into your life certain spiritual gifts that you didn't ask for, but the Holy Spirit knew that you would need and wanted to become operative in your life. So the Holy Spirit would put these spiritual gifts into your life in order, listen, not for you to say, I have these gifts, but in order that you may use those gifts to love and to serve and to help other people. And if you're a Christian, you have spiritual gifts. And if you have spiritual gifts, by all means, God wants you to use them. Do you believe that? God doesn't want you to sit on your gifts. God doesn't want you to just say, well, you know, I have them, therefore I'm not going to use. And some of you are saying, well, I don't know that I have them. And, you know, get out there and start operating what you and you believe God wants you to do. And if you just say, and this is how I believe in the providential nature of God. If you say, well, I want to know what God created me to do. I want to know the gifts that God has given to me that can serve and love and help other people. I want to know the gifts that I can deploy that's going to help to advance the kingdom of God in this world until Jesus comes. Here's what I know about God's love and his nature and his character. If you miss the bullseye and you attempt to do something in his name that is not at the epicenter of what he's calling you to do, God's not going to become frustrated or mad or angry at you because you missed the bullseye. But every time you attempt to do something in his name, is going to help you a little bit little to zero in on what God wants you to do. And friends, listen, and I'm not talking about becoming, you know, that you've got to quit your job and you've got to, you know, move here. You've got to do that or you've got to join. I'm not saying this, this. Here's what I'm saying. There's tremendous fulfillment when you are doing something in love for the God that loved you enough to send his son to die for you. And there's fulfillment in that. And there's joy in that. I'm knowing that God is using you to make a difference in the life of somebody else. When loving and serving others is convenient and easy, it's easy to say, well, you know, count me in. But if it requires significant effort and sacrifice, well, then, you know what? I, I, think, I think I'll just take a pass on that. One writer said some Christians emphasize the fun and fellowship and fulfilling aspects of Christianity without ever mentioning the sacrifice. Another matter that needs to be just addressed briefly before we're done here today out of 1 John 3, 16, is who should I love? Who should I serve? And again, you know, how many of you, and it's rhetorical because I already know the answer, how many of you know it is always easy to love the people that are easy to love? It's easy to love them. It's, it's easy to love your family members. It's easy to love your friends. It's easy to love the people that are closest to you. Somebody asked me prior to this service, when are you going to get to see your granddaughters again? And boy, I've, I've got this nailed down. Twelve days. And I can hardly wait. I'm so excited about them, seeing them, that, that I just had to get in a little pawpaw FaceTime this morning before church. Just have a little time and had to look at baby dolls and outfits and all of that. But you know what? 
It's easy to love those who are easy to love. You don't have to raise your hand. In fact, I prefer you not. But have you ever ran across people that are not easy to love? Please don't raise your hand. You ever work with people that are not easy to love? Don't raise your hand because that person, you may not even know that they go to church here and they're just three rows behind you and they know you're talking about them. So don't raise your hand. Easy to uh, love the person who cuts you off in traffic? Is it easy to love the person who rides by you and you're already going five miles over the speed limit, but they think you should go 25 miles over the speed limit and you're not doing that? So as they ease by you, they show you the international sign of displeasure? How do you respond to that? Do you say, thank you? I love you. Yes, Jesus is number one in my life too. Is that, is, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not always easy. In, in fact, I want you to look at these two verses here. Luke 6, 27 and 28 says this, and this is Jesus. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Guys, keep that up for just a moment. And uh, that's, that's not easy to do. I, I'm just, that's not easy to do, to love your enemies. Jesus said, if somebody hates you, you do good to them. That's not easy to do. This, that is, this is not for lightweight followers of Jesus. Bless those who curse you. The last phrase that Jesus gave was especially many, many years ago now. It's probably been 20 years ago. I knew that I was struggling with one person in particular because it was hard for me to pray for them. They had so, they pretended to be my friend, and I fell for it. I was just so, I was so optimistic and so gullible. I thought that they really, really wanted to be my friend. I had no idea that they were going to use me and stab me in the back, not literally, but figuratively. I had no idea. And I was a pastor. I was a leader, spiritual leader. And I had to get up and read verses like this when I gave talks. But it was so hard for me to pray. Oh, I had some prayers I wanted to pray for them. Oh, I had some good ones. Lord, when they go to bed at night and they get comfortable in their bed, let them be attacked by a million fleas. <laughs> you know. Give them a stomach ailment that will live long for at least a month or two. I mean, I had all kind of prayers, but how many of you know those are not Jesus kind of prayers? And I knew that I'd reached that place, and I'll remember this. When I found myself for the first time and for days afterwards praying that God would bless them. You said they came to you and apologized? Nope, never did. They said they're sorry for, nope, never did. But it wasn't about them doing that. It was between God and me. How many of you know, how many of you know, if you hate somebody or you're bitter against somebody, it is not hurting them at all, but it will eat you alive. You don't have an option. Is there anybody in your life that you just say, oh, 
I need to pray for them. And not the flea kind of prayer. (laughs) The Jesus kind of prayer. And you will know that you have forgiven and you're able to spiritually and emotionally move on. Jesus made these incredible statements. He's, you know, he's not addressing. He, in fact, he says, you know, it's not, in another, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, it's, it's not hard to do good things for those who do good to you. It's a whole other matter to do good to those who are not good to you. In fact, concerning our enemies, Jesus uses these outrageous statements like do good and bless and pray. Take a look at what Mother Teresa, who did this so well, once said. This is what she said. I have found the paradox that if I love until it hurts, then there is no hurt, but only more love. Would you stand with me for a closing prayer, everybody? So how is it going for you in this matter of loving others? How are you doing in that? Is there anybody in your life that you just say, and you're like me, you could just tick off all the people in your life that are easy love. Easy, 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 easy. Uh-oh. What are you going to do about that? And God's going to have to work that through, and God will do that. If he could do it for me, he can do it for you. And, and maybe there's somebody that even while I was giving this talk this morning, you just said, that's the person that I've got to pray for. That's a person that, is not easy to love. That is a person that has hurt me. What are we doing about serving people? If we're willing to invest time and energy and, and, and money to help to serve and to love other people, how are we doing on that? And are you convinced that you are outrageously loved by God? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. In fact, if you're here today, you can go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes, everybody. If you're here today and and you would just say, Pastor Jeff, I I need to receive. Jeff, I want to receive the love of God. I believe that God loves me, and you've helped me to understand that, that God, you know, loves me and nothing can separate me from that, but I've not received his love, and I'm I'm not a Christian yet, and I want to become a Christian. Would you just pray with me? While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you want to receive the love of God, if you want to accept Jesus as the Savior and leader of your life, would you just lift your hand wherever you're at? Just lift your hand and keep it up for just a moment. And let me pray for you. And I see your hand right over there. And I'm just looking around. I'm just looking all over this theater. See your hand right over there. And in just a moment, we're going to pray. How many of you, again, heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. You're just saying, you know what? There is the need for me. I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to be, I don't want to be egocentric. I want to serve others. I want to help others. I want to use the talents and abilities and spiritual gifts that God has entrusted to me. I, I want to do that. I don't want to be caught up in what is so pervasive in this culture. I want to be a servant. I want to serve others. I want to help others. If that's you, would you just lift your hand and say, man, that, that portion of the talk was for me. I've got to do it and see a lot of you raising your hand. One last thing, and then we pray. How many of you would say, you know, there's somebody in my life that I need to forgive. There's somebody in my life that I need to pray for. There's somebody in my life that if I'm not careful, I will allow it to become so injurious to me 
because I never emotionally move on from the hurt and the pain that I feel. And I know I've got to forgive, and I'm not going to become bitter, and I'm not going to become hateful. If that's you, would you just lift your hand and let me pray for you? A lot of you there on that one too. So God, help us today. Help us to take who you created us to be and serve and love and help people. Help us to understand that your church and those of us who are part of your church can stem the tide. We can make a difference. Help us to forgive those who have hurt hurt us, those who have taken advantage of us, those who pretended to be one thing and yet they were not. And then, God, help us to make sure that we block all forms of bitterness out of our life. And, Lord, in these moments, for those that raise their hand right where they're at, would would you make them feel your love? Help them to know that you love them so much you sent Jesus. Those of you that raised your hand, you want to receive the love of God, you can pray this right in your heart and your mind. Jesus, I know that you love me. I see it. I believe it. I want to love you in return. I want to receive that love into my life, your grace, your forgiveness into my life. I'm not yet a Christian, but I want to become one. I invite you to become the Savior of my life, but the leader of my life. I want to follow you. I confess my sin. I pray that you'll forgive me of every wrong thing I've ever done. And help me to follow you. Teach me to live the life that you want me to live. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. I love you, everybody. Have a great week. I'll see you right back here next Sunday.